If you would do me the honor of turning in your copy of God's Word to the book of Ruth. Um, I am enjoying getting to, uh, to, to dip our toes in the waters of the Old Testament. Um, for all of 2016, we basically exclusively stayed within the New Testament. And uh, Ruth has, has been a nice change of pace for me to do something a little bit different. But one of the things that I told our, our youth Wednesday night is that I am convinced um, as, as a pastor, um, as a theologian, and just as a Christian in general, that the Bible is not a giant book of lots of separate stories um, and accounts. That the Bible is actually one continuing story. Um, told by one God. There is not a God of the Old Testament who is angry and vengeful and mean and a God of the New Testament who is nice and forgiving and kind. That there is one God um, of both Testaments, one God both of the Old and the New. So if there's one God, it makes sense that there is one story. All of the Bible is a story of how God is redeeming his fallen creation. Creation that is suffering under sin. That we brought on ourselves. And the Bible is God's story of how he is writing what we broke. And the book of Ruth is a wonderful, wonderful picture of the redeeming nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about famine and faithlessness. And we talked about Elimelech and Malan and Killian and how their rebellion to step outside of the covenant promises of God thinking that they could do better on their own ended up leaving Naomi without a husband, without her sons, and just with her two daughters-in-law. Uh, this week we are going to cover what I'm going to call family and faithfulness. Uh, I, I was very, very, very shocked at one point because um, I'll tell y'all a secret. I, I'm not a I'm not a Baptist because I was born one. Um, I'm a Baptist because I is one <laughs> uh, because my theology is Baptist. I happen to believe that this is the word of God and that it means what it says and it says what it means and that's just it. Um, and Part of what this book tells me explicitly from Jesus in one case is that the most important relationship in my life is not with my wife. It is not with my parents. It is not with my child. Who needs to hurry up because I'm ready to meet it. Um, it it's not, it's not with, with any of those people. The most important relationship in my life is not with you, my church family. The most important relationship in my life is the relationship I have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important relationship I have in my life. So it shocked me greatly when I heard one of my classmates in high school say, you know, I was raised old-fashioned. That the three most important things to me in this order are family, faith, and country. And I went, whoa. I can agree with you on your top three. What I don't agree with it, it here is the order. Family and country are important, but nothing ever should trump a Christian's relationship with God. Ever. Ever. 
under any circumstance. And Elimelech, last week, we saw in the first five verses of Ruth, said, feeding my family is more important than faithfulness to God. This week, from a very unlikely place, we are going to see faith in God trump every other need, every other desire. It's going to trump every single one of them. So, if you would stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to start in the sixth verse of the first chapter of Ruth. And we're going to go down through the 18th, the sixth verse of Ruth chapter 1. Then she arose with her daughters, this is Naomi, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they left up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Father, thank you so much for your word. Teach us from it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Ruth and Orpah. Uh, they are actually, even though Naomi's going to be speaking, uh, Naomi's going to get her turn in the spotlight next week. Now, we've heard a little bit from Naomi here and there kind of along the way. We, we heard in the first five verses her name was Pleasant. You know, she's going to give us a little bit of conversation here in these next few verses. But the two uh, main folks, the two main people we're going to look at in these verses today are Ruth and Orpah. Uh, this morning is not going to be an Orpah bashing session. That is not what we're going to do. Um, but Orpah is going to provide us um, someone to compare Ruth to. So you can see some differences here. Uh, and what I want us to kind of glean from this today is we can look and we can see that today Ruth is going to leave everything behind in order to unite herself with God and his people, and that her commitment was more than sentimentalism. It was real. It was more than just emotion. And the same is true for us. For us to be united with God and his people through Christ, we have to be willing to leave everything 
and follow Jesus. And it has to be more than just an emotional commitment. So first I want us to look at, I want us to look at three facets of what it means to become part of the family of God. Um, there's, a, there, there's a little, I don't know that I'd call it a hymn. It's probably more of a chorus. It has multiple verses, um, and I'm seeing some people sing it already. They know what I'm talking about. The Gaithers wrote it. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Okay, yeah, family of God. That uh, The Bible, how many of y'all have ever heard, which you don't have to like shout it out, we're not interacting, but have ever heard someone say something of the nature that, you know, your, your faith is a personal thing. It's a private thing. Only problem with that is the Bible. Um, the Bible doesn't seem to think so. Um, our faith, yes, is personal. You don't get to, you, you're, not, you don't, you're not saved just because you're born into a Christian household. Okay? You're saved because you have a personal relationship with God. But at the moment you enter into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have a family. You have corporate responsibilities. We, we're responsible for looking out for each other. I am my brother's kister. Uh, wow. I am my brother's keeper. I was about to say brother's sister, and it came out kister, and that's not good. Um, I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. We're responsible to each other. There are corporate requirements, corporate responsibilities. So when you come to Christ, you become a part of the family of God. And I want us to look at three aspects of what it means to become part of that family today. And first, we need to see that becoming part of the family of God is a choice. It's a choice. It's not something that just happens automatically. Look at verse 6. Then she arose, this is Naomi, uh, with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. You'll remember they're in Moab because there has been a famine in the land. That The people of Israel have been rebellious. This is during the time of the judges. Uh, that they have been disobedient, they're worshiping other gods, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, they're not listening, they're not obeying the scriptures that God has given them. So what happens? A famine comes on the land. And rather than repenting and turning, Naomi's family, led by her husband Elimelech, who is now dead, has gone into Moab to try and find food. Well, at this point, all the men in the family are dead. Uh, Naomi hears that God has visited his people in giving them bread. And so she hears that this is happening down in Judah. So she says, ladies, we're packing it up. We're going home. Now, for her, this is home. Ruth and Orpah have never been there. So she hears that God's given them bread. And so she packs up. She turns around. And she sets out to do what her husband and both her sons had refused to. Go back to the promised land where God had promised, if I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you here, Israel. This is where it's going to be. None of the other ones in the family wanted to go back. Naomi says, no, if God's going to bless us, he's going to bless us there. I guess so. We're going to go home. Now, I, I do want to point out, though, is Naomi returning home because she's had some great change of heart? No. She's going home because she's hungry and there's food. Okay? Uh, so this is just a word of caution here. Before we go on through the rest of this book and we lift up Naomi as some godly saint example that we're supposed to follow, be careful because she might have fallen for the prosperity gospel. Be careful. I'm not saying she did, but I'm just saying she's not going back down to Judah because she, she's just so enamored with the love of her God. She's going down there because she's hungry. So to just be very, very careful. So Naomi hears that there's food, so she starts 
heading back. And her two daughter-in-laws start to go with her. Now, they've never been to Judah. They're Moabites. We talked about some of this last week. Just a quick recap to her. The Moabites did not get along well with Israelites. They were cursed people. They were people that God had told his Israelite nation, you are perpetually at war with these people. Check Deuteronomy 23. You're going to hear a little bit from it later. God, God told Israel, you are never to deal kindly with them. That's almost a direct quote. Moabites were not people that Israel was a big fan of. So you can imagine, if you're Orpah and you're Ruth, and Naomi says, I'm going back to Judah, packing up and going with her is a pretty drastic step. Because you're walking into a culture that wants nothing to do with you. You're already, the day you enter Judah, you're already marginalized. You're already disliked. You're already hated. You're already viewed as cursed just because you get there. But they set out to go with her. And somewhere along the way, in verse 8, Naomi turns around. She says, girls, ladies, I don't think this is the best idea. She says, go and return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. See, they had married Jewish men. Part of the requirement of this marriage was the, 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 the leveret rules. What was the leveret rules? That was if you marry a Jewish man and he were to die before having any children to carry on his family name, then the brother of this man was required to marry you so that you were not left destitute, you were not left alone, you were not widowed. But what's the problem? Naomi has no more sons. There are, not that Naomi knows about, there is no hope for these girls if they go with her. And she's going to outline this a little bit. So what does Naomi do? Naomi is contractually releasing these two girls from their family obligations. Said, Ruth, Orpah, if you go with me, you're going to be expected to carry on my family line. But I don't have any more sons. If you come back to Israel with me, your prospects are pretty grim. So what I'm doing is I'm releasing you from your obligations to go back home to find another husband and for you to start over. You don't have, you don't have to, you know, hitch yourself to this sinking ship. Go home. You've been good to me. I'm going to pray for God to be good to you. But girls, you can go home. And Ruth and Orpah lose it. All of the, they, they have a big crying fest. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a Hallmark movie channel moment. Um, she kisses them, they lift up their voices, they weep. This is an extremely emotional moment. But what do they say to her? They weep and they say, surely we will return with you to your people. Now this is a verbal commitment to do all of this. Listen to this. When they say they're returning with her to go to her people, this is what they're doing. They're going to leave their Moabite family leave that mother's house that Naomi's trying to send them back to, and they're going to go join an Israelite family. 
They're going to leave their Moabite culture, the way they do life, and they're going to become part of an Israelite culture. They're going to leave their Moabite gods, who and how they've worshipped their entire life, and they're going to become followers of Yahweh, the Jewish God, the God of the Bible, the one we know. Anytime you see Lord in all capitals, especially in the Old Testament, if you look in the Hebrew, that's the word Yahweh. That's the word that gets translated by God, I am that I am, when he tells about the divine name, that they are leaving the gods of the Moabites and they're coming to Yahweh. They're leaving behind their prospects of marriage in Moab to potentially be lifetime widows in Israel. Lifetime widows. Ladies, how, how great of a prospect does it sound for uh, your mother-in-law to say, hey, you never get to be married. Your husband's been dead for 10 years, but nope, you come with me, you're going to be single the rest of the time. They, she, that, that's what they were looking at. And then finally, leave behind their respect that they would have had in Moab and be seen as best case, low class, worst case, cursed in Israel. How many of you would be just so gung-ho about going to a land where you were seen as being cursed? That's what they said they were going to do. So verbally, they choose the Israelite option for all of these. They made a choice to do this. They made a decision to be part of Israel. Guys, faith in Christ works the same way. I heard it put this way, God does not have any grandchildren, none whatsoever. You did not become a Christian because you were born in a Christian home. Ruth and Orpah could have remained in a life that they knew and they understand, or they can leave and be joined to something completely unknown to them. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Uh, this is Moses talking to the nation of Israel. Uh, after they've said, we're going to follow God, we're going to follow God. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. In the same sense that Ruth and Orpah could choose, I'm going back to Moab and I'm staying the way I was, or I'm leaving and my entire life is going to look different, I'm going to be part of a different family. I'm going to associate with a different group. I'm going to obey a different God. There was a fork in the road for them, and there, there's a fork in the road for every single one of us here. You don't get to default into the family of God. Does that make sense? You don't get to just be there just because, oh, well, I was raised in the church. My mama was a Christian. My daddy was a Christian. My, my grandma was a Christian. She left me her Bible. That's great. She didn't leave you her salvation. She didn't give you that. Every single person that is saved has chosen Christ. Now you can get into all sorts of theological arguments. We're not going to do that today. We're not going to do that. Because in this case right here, the Bible presents us with a choice. What are you going to do? Presented with the gospel, presented that the knowledge that you are a sinner in need of salvation and that God has made a way for you to be saved. He's made a way for you to be forgiven through the blood of his son Jesus Christ. What are you going to choose to do? Will you choose to submit, repent, and follow, or will you choose to refuse, reject, and rebel? 
would, what would you choose to do? And then second, listen to, listen to Jesus in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I made the mistake of calling this accounting the last time I used this illustration. I've been told it's actually more finance. Um, opportunity cost. Um, opportunity cost, if you were to take an, an econ class or a finance class, um, you will find out that opportunity cost means it is the cost of giving up one thing so that I can have another. Uh, think of it this way. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If I've got a $5 bill in my pocket and I want the $5 foot long of the day at Subway, I have to make a choice. I can either continue to have this $5 bill that I'm imagining in my pocket or I can give away my $5 bill and I can get my sub sandwich. I can't have both. I can't have my $5 bill and my sub sandwich. To have one, I've got to give up the other. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is kind of like a $5 bill and a $5 foot long. You can't have one and have the other. If you find the treasure hidden in the field, what did the man do to have the treasure? He sold everything he had to go and buy the field with the treasure in it. He didn't sell 50% of it and then went and bought 50% of the treasure. You don't get percentages of the kingdom of God. It's an all or nothing ordeal. Same thing with the pearl of great price. The pearl trader finds this incredible pearl that is of such value, the only way he can have it is to sell everything else. There is no opportunity for him to return. Once you go, it's a one-way trip. You're either all in or you're not in at all. There's no halfway. So the sub sandwich was probably a bad illustration because you can get a six inch. It's cheaper. <laughs> Just realize that. But a treasure and the pearl of great price are not. That's why Jesus has better illustrations than Josh. But it's an all or nothing kind of thing. Ruth and Orpha were presented with an all or nothing choice. It's either Israel in potentially perpetual widowhood or Moab and maybe the prospect of getting married. You got to pick. It's a choice. Becoming part of the family of God is a choice. And then second, and this is, a, this is key for me. Hopefully it, it, will, it will be key for you. Becoming part of the family of God is more than just emotion. It's more than just an emotional commitment. Look at verse 11 through 13. Uh, verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back my daughters, why will you go with me? Uh, this is interesting to me, because um, I've heard horror stories. We're, you know, one of the things we're famous for as Baptists is that thing where I walk down here and I hold my Bible and I impassionately plead for you to please come to Jesus Christ. And I love doing that. I'm going to do that at the end of today. Spoiler, come to Jesus, Okay. I'm going to do this later. But we're very famous for this. But I've heard horror stories about invitations. I read a book one time where somebody said, here's the way my altar call that had convinced me I was a Christian for 
15 to 20 years went, okay? As a child, after vacation Bible school, he comes down front, the pastor's standing down front, and the pastor says, why have you come forward today, son? And he goes, I want to be saved. Are you going to be a good boy? Yes. Are you going to keep the Ten Commandments? Yes. Pastor turns him around. This boy's saved. Really? This kid was fooled for like 15 to 20 years. He thought because he'd come down front. I mean, just a couple of really quick questions, and that was it. It was, it was purely emotional. We're not going to evaluate this at all. Look at what Naomi does. Naomi goes, you sure about that? You sure you want to do this? Do you understand what decision you're making? And by the way, as your pastor, I'm kind of going to play the part of Naomi if anybody ever wants to join this church. I want to sit down and I want to say, do you understand what it is you're committing to? Do you understand what it is you're saying? Do you understand that this is a life commitment? That this is a commitment not just to hold us accountable, but for us to hold you accountable? Do you understand this is a commitment not just to receive, but also to give? Do you understand this is a commitment not just to be served, but also to, to serve? Do you understand that your faith in God now takes the prime place in your life above everyone and everything else? I'm going to ask these hard questions. And Naomi asked them these hard questions. And then she introduces the silver bullet that always seems to kill emotion, and that is cold, hard logic. Listen to what she says. Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? First point, ladies, I don't have any more sons for you to marry. I don't have anybody for you. Turn back and go. And then she says, I'm too old to have a husband. Not only do I have any sons, I'm too old to remarry. And even if I did remarry, the likelihood of me being able to have a son is next to nothing. And then she even goes so far as to say, if there were a miracle, if I were to get married today and were to become with child today, and I bore a son the soonest day possible. Would one of you ladies be willing to wait around for that son to grow up and reach marriageable age so that you could be married again? Now remember, 10 years have already passed in Moab. So these ladies would probably be nearing the end of childbearing age in their own lives if they did this. Naomi is trying to tell them that logically a decision to go with her is a decision to remain a childless widow, most likely for the rest of their lives. She is challenging the purely emotional, potentially, nature of their commitment. And then she says in verse 13, uh, Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes. What? that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. What does Naomi think is happening right now? She thinks God has got a giant cosmic sniper rifle lined up on her and that he's aiming to take her out. Is that what's going on? No. That's not what's going on. In fact, you're, we're going to go through the rest of the book and you're going to see that God's actually got incredible plans 
in store for Naomi and her family. But whether or not that's true right now doesn't matter because that's what Naomi thinks is going on and that's the way she's selling this bill of goods to her daughters-in-law. So in short, here's what Naomi tells him. There's no prospect for this marriage in this land that you're going to that you've never been to and God is out to get your mother-in-law that you will be staying with. Does this sound like a good plan? Does this sound like somewhere you want to go? You got no opportunity for remarriage. You got no opportunity to bear children. God's out to get your mother-in-law. And oh, by the way, everybody in the town you're moving to is going to think you're cursed. Is this the kind of place you want to go to? So what happens? Verse 14 and 15. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. What does this difference in reactions mean? Naomi explains it in verse 15. She says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. Orpah's kiss was a kiss goodbye. Orpah, when faced with... She, she makes a quick emotional decision, but when faced with the logic that Naomi presents her, Orpah decides marriage is too important to me. Children are too important to me. My family back home is too important to me. My life back home is too important to me. My gods back home are too important to me. I'm going there. Naomi, it's been good. I love you. I wish the best for you. But that life is not for me. Ruth, on the other hand, refuses to let go of Naomi. Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. This is not just a family affair anymore. Return after your sister-in-law. How many folks do you know that have quote-unquote come to Christ, but their, their conversion has been nothing more than just being emotional? I was a youth pastor for five years before I got here. Um, and I, I've been around uh, youth ministry for a long time. Um, and th this, I have a visceral aversion, especially with youth, but even including adults. When you go to a lot of big conferences, there tends to be this push towards emotionalism. Let's play really emotional music and put on really emotional shows and then provide this impassioned plea. And next thing you know, you got 400 kids down front crying and weeping. And, you, you know, there's, all, there's the joke amongst other youth pastors I've talked to that five of those kids who got saved on your trip also got saved the year before and the year before and the year before is you get this emotional outpouring but there's never really any life change to follow it. Which indicates to me nothing spiritual really happened. You just got emotional. Where the rubber really hits the road is when it gets tough. When it requires that your life actually be different. Does the change persist? Is it continual? Jesus told a parable about conversion this way and he describes... The gospel is, is seed and, and the evangelist as the sower. And that 
sometimes when seed gets flung out indiscriminately, some of it lands on different types of soils. And in Matthew 13, verses 20 and 22, uh, Jesus says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. There is an emotional response to hearing the gospel. That's great. That's me. I know, I'm, I know I need God. And they hear it and they receive it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but only endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Orpah is given the opportunity to go home with Ruth and, she, or, and go home with Naomi. And she says, I'm never leaving you. I love you so much. I'm going home with you. And Naomi raises the question, Orpah, are you sure? Because here's what it's going to be like. Here's what your life experiences are going to be. And Orpah steps back and goes, Maybe not. I love you, it's been good, but I'm going home. And what about this second one? Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Naomi, I'm going with you. You'll be single forever. That's not the vision I had for my life. That wasn't on my 10-year outlook. I'm out choked out. Then Luke 9, 61 and 62. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Tough words from Jesus. Once you put your hand to the plow, Christian, understand your commitment. I don't preach, I don't believe in easy believism. The gospel is simple, yes, but it's not easy. If you think Christianity is easy, keep on living. Keep on going. I'm, I'm 28, I can say that, authoritatively. There are plenty of people in here with more life experience than me that will corroborate that story, though. And I will continue to learn that lesson as I live. But I caution you, Christian, your life is going to be difficult. Does your faith endure? Once you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. It's, the Christian life, we can get emotional, but our, our faith can't be based on our emotion. You come forward, you cry at the altar, that doesn't no more mean you're saved than, you know, a toddler who tried to touch something they weren't supposed to touch. You know, you'd be like my mom. Mom used to get a little paint stir stick and pop me on a little fat part of my back leg right there. I cried. Tears are not the measure of being saved. Exuberant happiness is not the measure of being saved. I can show you somebody who's saved. Somebody who's saved is somebody who hears the gospel, accepts the gospel, and sticks to it when it's tough. That's not what saves them, but that's a mark that it was real. It's more than emotion. Becoming part of the family of God is more than emotion. And then finally, becoming part of the family of God, probably perhaps the most crucially, is leaving your old life and God's behind. Verse 16. But Ruth said... Now y'all, this is one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible. This is wonderful. Do you know that Jews will even still recite this at weddings today? Verse 16, but Ruth said, 
Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. She responds to Naomi and says, hey, Naomi, hush. I'm not going anywhere. Stop telling me to leave. But we have some drama here in the middle of all this. And honestly, this was what was troubling me at the beginning part of this book. And I think this is part, that's the way the author of Ruth designed it. That this is the drama. There's a problem with Ruth saying, don't tell me to leave. Ruth is what? A widow? Yes. Single now? Yes. But more importantly, she is a Moabite. Remember what I said about Moabites? Deuteronomy 23. Listen to what God has to say. This is not on your handout because I was running out of room. But Deuteronomy 23, 3. An Ammonite or Moabite, verse 3, shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. So what do you do with this? Ruth is saying, I'm going with you. And it almost looks in Scripture like God's going, <laughs> no, you're not. No Moabite, ever. You're cursed. You are separated from God by something that you were born into. Is this starting to sound familiar? See, we're in the same situation as far as God goes. We're separated from Him naturally by something that we were born into, namely sin. Ruth didn't choose to be born a Moabite. I didn't choose to be born a sinner. But that's still a problem. Ruth's Moabiteness is a problem. My sin is a problem. So how does Ruth, how, how, does, how do we overcome this gap? How is Ruth allowed to join the people of God the same way that we are, by grace through faith? The same way. Now, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to note that my, my boy Johnny MacArthur, or John MacArthur um, pointed this verse out in one of his sermons, and I think he's on to something. Isaiah 56, 3. Do not let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. These were two classes of people who were ceremonially separated from ever joining the assembly of God. Sons of foreigners who were not part of the covenant or eunuchs. They were not allowed to join the assembly of God. And yet God is saying in Isaiah, don't let them say they can't join. The key is the one who has joined himself to the Lord. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7. Also the sons of the foreigner who what? Join themselves to the Lord, to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. In other words, the foreigner who leaves his nation and becomes an Israelite. Who stops being whatever they were and they come to find shelter under the covenant. Even them. I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. God says, don't 
tell this foreigner, don't tell this eunuch that they can't be loved by me, that they can't be accepted by me. The catch is, are they willing to leave their old life and take on a new one? Are they willing to leave their old gods and come to me? Are they willing to leave their old nation and come to my people? Are they willing to join themselves to me and separate themselves from their entire old existence? It's all or nothing, kind of like a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl that a pearl salesman found that was worth everything. It takes selling it all and coming to buy the pearl of great price or the treasure in the field. You have got to go and give up everything, which is exactly what Ruth is saying she's going to do. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. I'm leaving Chemosh behind. I'm leaving Molech behind. I'm leaving the gods of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Canaanites behind. I have one God now. His name is Yahweh. That's it. And this is what the New American Commentary said is going on here. Like any Near Easterner of her time, she realized that if she would commit herself to Naomi and go, on, go home with her, she must also commit herself to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. Although some would interpret Ruth's declaration as a sign of conversion, it is better viewed as an affirmation of a transfer of membership from the people of Moab to Israel and of allegiance from Chemosh to Yahweh. The one thing I draw issue with in what that commentary has to say is I think allegiance to Yahweh and inclusion in His covenant is conversion. Ruth is saying, no, this is my God. These are my people. I want to be in this covenant. I want to follow this God. I want to follow these, this way of life. I'm going with you, and when I go with you, I'm not just going with you. I'm going with Him. Moab is no longer my people. And how does Ruth prove this? Look in verse 17. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. This is a lifelong choice. I am eliminating the possibility that if things get rough, I'm going back to Moab. The Lord do so to me and more also. Now this is interesting. People in that era, when they swore, they would have sworn by their gods. Who does Ruth swear by? She swears by Yahweh. She doesn't swear by Chemosh. And when you hear the Lord do this to me, or do so to me and more also, the, the general gist is Ruth is probably saying something of the nature, the Lord do so to me and more also if I break what I'm saying. Basically saying, my, I, I'm swearing an oath to the Lord. Basically saying, my life is forfeit if I go back on what I'm saying. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth puts it out there and says, if God's not going to let me join this people, he's going to have to do it by killing me because I'm going to Israel. If there's breath in my lungs, Naomi, I'm going with you. If there's breath in my lungs, I'm staying with you. If my heart's pumping blood through my veins, I'm going to live in Judah. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I will swear oaths in his name. I will follow Jewish law. And she functions the rest of this book 
not like a Moabite. She functions like an Israelite. By Israelite laws. She lives in Israelite culture. She swears by the Israelite God. She operates as an Israelite widow. She's not a Moabite anymore. So what's the application? Stapleton? Are you claiming to be a Christian, but on Monday you go back to Moab? Have you left it behind? Is your old life your old life and your old gods your old gods? Or is it your old life really just your weekday life and your old gods really just your weekday gods? Do you, do you say where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried? Or do you say, I'm in it till it's tough? I'm going to back out if it gets uncomfortable. Now, did Ruth understand everything that she was committing to when she said this? Almost 100% no. Remember, she grew up in Moab. But praise God, uh, God doesn't necessarily ask for perfection from us because it's been provided to us in Jesus. I'm not asking you to be perfect. God right now is not asking you to be perfect. Jesus has been perfect for you, but what God does ask you to be is faithful. Have you trusted Christ? And when I say have you trusted Christ, I mean have you trusted him for the long haul? Are you in it for the whole way? Because Ruth put her life on the line. And what's ironic to me is Elimelech, the man who was quote-unquote born into the covenant, left the promised land that God had promised to bless to go into Moab, a land that was cursed. And here you have a Moabite girl who hasn't grown up knowing Yahweh, saying, I'm willing to leave everything behind because I believe enough in the God of Yahweh that I would rather go and be part of his people, even if it costs me my life to do so than to stay in Moab. Tell me that Ruth wasn't converted. That's a joke if I've ever heard one. I wholeheartedly believe so. God seemed to honor her enough considering that she's directly in the lineage of Jesus. He seemed to think somewhat highly of her choice. How do I know that? How do I know how God felt about that choice from Ruth? This is not on your handout, but this is one of my favorite Bible verses or Bible passages in all of the Bible. It's in Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, think of this in regard to Ruth, truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Listen to me today. Here's your, here's your take home on this. Just like Ruth, y'all, if, if something in this country doesn't turn around, I've heard it way put it this way. If something in this country doesn't turn around, then we keep on going. God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Th things in this country are rough. 
Things in this world are rough, not just here. And they continue to get more so. But the, the, the path to the cross is still open. God's still standing there, willing to accept you if you'll place your faith in Jesus. But here's the kicker. You've got to do it like Ruth. You've got to come to God and you've got to say, I am leaving everything in my old life behind. And I'm coming to follow you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. I want to be your people. I want you to be my God. I'm going to die faithful to you by your grace. That, that's the way it's got to be. It's a lifelong commitment. But the great thing is, God's already made that possible for you. God's already given you the power to do so. He's given you Jesus Christ. All you have to do is place faith in Him. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit will take care of changing your want to and changing the way you live and your actions and everything. He'll take care of that. Trust in Christ. Come today and be saved. I'm going to be up here. I'm extending that offer to you right now. Leave Moab and come join the people of God. That option is available to you today. It's a choice. Now, don't you do it based on emotion. It's going to be tough. There are going to be hard times. And it's going to cost you everything. But the benefits are out of this world. So I'm going to pray. Abby's going to lead us in a couple verses. And if you need to, to come forward, you need to trust Christ. You need to join the people of God by faith. You need to be forgiven of your sin. You come talk to me. Um, it, we'll, we'll sit down and talk more um, after the service or sometime this week. We'll make an appointment. If you don't want to come down front, you got a guest card on the side of that bulletin. If coming down front makes you nervous, I just want to follow up with you and talk about it. Meet me at the back door. Just don't leave today without talking to me about Jesus if you need to. I'm going to pray you need to come, you come. Father, thank you so much um, for uh, another day with your people. And Lord, we thank you that um, you did what it took for us to be made your people. Those of us who, um, we, we're, we were born Gentiles, apart from the covenant, apart from hope and without God in the world. But you, Father, through your son Jesus, have brought us near who were far away. That you have given us hope. You have given us inclusion in the promises. Lord, that you love us and that we love you. And Father, that you are making us to look more like Jesus through the power of your spirit every day. Father, I pray if there's somebody in here who is outside of those promises right now by virtue of the fact that they have never trusted Jesus, that you would work on them right now. And it would be on more than an emotional level. That you would call them to you, um, yes, with repentance. And yes, with sadness about sin, but also with a sober knowledge that I am leaving my old life behind. That this is a one-way trip. Um, Lord, that you would do that in somebody's life today. For our church, Lord, I pray that you would bless them. You would strengthen their faith in you. And you would grow us to bring honor and glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.